Okay, so let's get the mood going here. Imagine it, the coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. A fire is crackling in the hearth, even though it's currently 27 degrees. But hey, this is a mood. The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air, and you're gathered with some of your closest book friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray, and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop where I talk about my most recent reads and possibly encourage you to pick up a copy. This week, I'm actually returning to an oldie but a goodie as I tell you all about a book that I read for the first time a few years ago. It's been made into a film with a pretty popular cast and in the scheme of things, I don't think that a book that was released in 2012 is actually that old. I have to be honest, when it first came out, I didn't even give it a second look. It was the book that pretty much every woman, and some men to be fair, I spoke with about books was discussing. It was the book that at least three people in every train carriage on my daily commute, back when I could actually get on a train without freaking out, was reading. And it seemed to be everywhere. Some of you might be able to guess from those few clues alone because this book was so popular it topped all the bestseller lists and when it was finally made into a film it made 10 times its $20 million budget. I'm not sure why but it's not a film I'm actually rushing to see despite it having been released in 2016 but the book definitely gave me a lot to cry about as it wasn't the traditional happily ever after many people desperately want when they read a book that gives off romance vibes, especially when you look at the cover. I have to be honest, this week I was going to be diving into the wonder that is Terry Pratchett. I always knew that this weekend was going to be a difficult one, as it was MasterChef Australia's season 13 grand finale. I'm so glad the person won that did. And it is one show that I watch with my mum while we do pedicures, tidy her computer hard drive and sort out other stuff like electricity bills and new mattresses and other things. Not a new mattress every year, that would be ridiculous. This week ended up being much more of a rush as we only managed all of that before 1pm but then headed off to my sister's for her mother-in-law's birthday an event that is not normally celebrated to this extent. However, because of the amazing weather we've been having and the fact that she is having major heart surgery this coming week, it was observed with a massive buffet and a mini garden party, though we were exclusively just family. Cue me getting home on Saturday night at gone 9pm and then realising there was no way on earth that I was going to get in a chance to read the last eight chapters of my Covenant read. And here I am with a mishmash of an episode in which I will be sort of talking about Jojo Moy's biggest bestseller to date, 2012's Me Before You. Lou Clark knows lots of things. She knows how many footsteps there are between the bus stop and home. She knows she likes working in the buttered bun tea shop. And she knows she might not love her boyfriend, Patrick. What Lou doesn't know is she's about to lose her job or that knowing what's coming is what keeps her sane. Will Trainer knows his motorcycle accident took away his desire to live. He knows everything feels very small and rather joyless now, and he knows exactly how he's going to put a stop to that. 
What Will doesn't know is that Lou is about to burst into his world in a riot of colour, and neither of them knows they're going to change the other for all time. Almost two years ago, I talked about this very book on another podcast, and my co-host and I agreed to disagree when she stated that not only did she dislike the fact that the book was written in first person, but her biggest issue with it was the fact she couldn't identify with the main character through whose eyes we were experiencing the story. On that point, I heartily disagree, but then I don't have the same issue with first person as she does. Personally, I don't think of Me Before You as a romantic novel. I see it as a beautiful story of a deep friendship that changes the lives of two people in ways that cannot be explained away in a single epilogue, though I do believe that the two sequels which followed were completely unnecessary. Will Trainer has always been a high flyer and a man who enjoys adventure. The book opens with a prologue taking place in 2007, with Will in bed with his lover planning an adventure holiday. Mentions are made of trekking, mountain climbing, and his love of being active. In this brief show of what his life is before the accident, which takes place moments after he leaves his lover's bed, you can see who he was and why the restrictions of his new life affect him quite so badly. The main story picks up two years after the accident that changes Will's life, and for a moment you'd be forgiven for wondering how chapter one relates to the prologue at all, as it immediately introduces us to Lou Clark and her life. Lou Clark is a quiet girl with loud and unusual fashion tastes. She's a bit of an oddball and she's never been ambitious. She likes her life, working in a tea room in the small town where she grew up and where she still lives with her family, her sister Trina, her parents, her grandfather, and Trina's son, Thomas. She likes her nice, safe life, a relationship with Patrick, who is a fitness fanatic, who seems to have very little faith in Lou's abilities and doesn't really seem to appreciate her, definitely taking her for granted. Patrick is far more interested in exercise than he is Lou, and sometimes it feels as though he stays with her because he knows that she will simply put up with the minute amount of affection he shows her while he's living his life. He runs a business as a personal trainer, and what he feels for her does seem incredibly shallow. He doesn't actually care what she wants, more that she compliments him and his reputation. She is devastated about the loss of her job, but if she's expecting any sympathy, then she is definitely in the wrong place. He refers to her as people like you, and then tells her that she could become a beautician because she's pretty enough. Is it just me that doesn't feel like that's actually a compliment. Of course, when things seem to be going smoothly, or at least as smoothly as they've always been going, a spanner has to be shoved right in the middle of the works. And when one day her boss tells her that the tea rooms are closing and Lou is going to be without a job, her entire world is set on its side and the awful search for a new job has to begin. The accelerator is firmly pressed down even more when Trina announces that she's going back to college, which means the family will need more income than benefits can afford, and Lou just needs to get any job. Lou never really succeeded at school, unlike her sister. She's comfortable with the way things are, which to me definitely explains her relationship with Patrick. And that being the case, there is very little she is qualified for, but she needs a job. Pickings are thin, and that is how she winds up interviewing 
for the role as carer for Will Trainer, who is angry at everything, especially the world. It's been two years since his accident and he lost the life that he had before. Being truthful, I don't actually blame Will for being angry. He was active, energetic, had a busy life, was successful and driven. He had a girlfriend, a great job. And more importantly, when it comes to a comparison with his current existence, he was independent. He made his own decisions and didn't depend on the kindness and energy of others to get what he wanted and where he needed to be. Having lived in the big city and travelled around the world for his work, returning to the family home in Stortford where he is now dependent on the time of others to do even the most basic of tasks is even more of a shock to the system. He has a very patient medical assistant in Nathan and the constant guilt of his mother pressing down on him is not the sort of thing that anyone could cope with easily. It's obvious that his whole family, his mum, his dad and his sister Georgina really care for him And it is their hope that Lou's cheery disposition will rub off on Will and make him change his mind about a decision they disagree with. They want him to live even though the life he has is not one he feels he is able to cope with. Will is resistant to change. (laughs) That's definitely very, very apparent. He is abrasive and his attitude is enough to convince Lou that not only doesn't he like her, but she's not welcome in his life. However, as time goes on, he realises that she has more to offer. She is bubbly and bright, but she has depth. She's not all that she appears to be on the surface. In some ways, I'd compare this to Pygmalion and Galatea. Maybe? What do you think? Or am I just trying to find something Greek mythology in all of this? The title, Me Before You, doesn't really come into play so much before the very end of the book. And whether you've seen the film, read the summary on the amazingly useful site, themoviespoiler.com, or you've actually read the book, you know how this story ends. Will and Lou are like chalk and cheese, where she's determined to put a brave face on things and do whatever she has to because there are people depending on her. Will is determined to go his own way. He knows his own mind, and because he believes his thoughts are the only thing he has control over, he's riding roughshod over everyone else's feelings. He may have changed his pursuits because he had no choice, but that doesn't mean he has changed his mindset. He misses who he was and doesn't want to adapt to what he has been given. Throughout the book, I got this feeling that he really does care for his family, They are the only people who are still there, the ones who take the abuse he flings at them because of his frustration. Though Lou does get added into the mix and he tries to push her away as well. But his acerbic nature is a front so that he can keep them far enough away that they don't derail his plans for his future. His demeanour does change slightly throughout the book, especially after his girlfriend visits with one of his friends from his old work to let him know that they are engaged to be married. It's as though doors are shutting on his past quicker than new doors can open, but he accepts the news with as much grace as anyone can given the situation and even attends Rupert and Alicia's wedding. But all of these new experiences do not change Will's plans. He had them and he has no intention of changing them. It could be said that he is humouring his parents, but he has made his decision and as with every other element of his life before the events that changed it, he has taken control. Whatever else happens, this is his decision to make.
It's at this point where many people seem to have a huge issue. In fact, several reviews are very angry about Will's choices, about the ending and how it's not romantic. Notice right at the beginning, I specifically stated I don't think this is a love story. I think that it's a tale of friendship and self-discovery. The fact that Lou develops feelings for Will and he for her in return aside, this is not their love story. Through Lou, Will discovers that he can offer someone a wider view of the world, help them to dream big and achieve bigger. Through Will, Lou realises that she doesn't have to settle, that she is capable of a lot more than she ever believed possible. Is it sad that Will doesn't stick around to see what Lou could become? Yes, it really is. Is it devastating that their story ends in the way it does? Again, yes. Is it selfish that Will chooses his own ending? Here I am going to be controversial. I don't think it is. Do I agree that his life was over because he was no longer able to do all the things he loved? No, but he believed it. The accident took away his ability to do all the things he loved, but it didn't take away his memory of the fact that he'd been able to do them, and for him, that is the tragedy. In the book, it's mentioned that when Will chooses to go to Dignitas in Switzerland to die, it is the first choice that he has made for himself since his accident. And one particular review mentions that he had been able to make plenty of decisions, plenty of choices before this, Yet all of the ones that are mentioned are about his behaviour. As someone who has several mental health disorders, this is like the multiple times my grandmother said to me, you choose to cry and be sad. No, I don't. I would like to not cry every single day. I would like to wake up and not feel as though a 10 ton weight is pressing on my chest on a very regular basis. Will can choose to be angry or he can choose to be happy. He can choose what he thinks, but that isn't going to change the fact that he has to rely on someone else to feed him, get him up, put him to bed, wipe his backside and do everything for him. The sort of thing that is a terrifying prospect for anyone who was used to doing all of that and so much more for themselves. He can control when he lives and dies and that is his right and selfish or not, his family are not the ones who have to live that life. He is the one who is experiencing every single minute of it. Am I saying this to justify the decision that Will makes? No way. But at the same time, I am not going to say that a person's choice is the wrong one. Everyone has the right to make their own decisions. And ultimately, that's what life is about. Assisted suicide is an incredibly sensitive and very controversial subject and definitely not one that I am going to weigh in on at all and that's not what this review is about. So, here comes the question and answer part. Did I enjoy it? Yes, I did. I think I enjoyed it more because I didn't read it when it was the current craze. I didn't actually purchase it until a considerable time after everyone had stopped reading and talking about it. It was a popular book club choice and it seemed like every other person had a copy in their bag and was reading it on the train. In fact, I didn't actually pick it up until 2014 when it was in the bargain bin at my local Oxfam and I figured I'd have a look and see what all the fuss was about. It was definitely worth the read. It made me laugh and cry and you guys know how much I love a book that makes me cry. And Lou and Will are fantastic characters who both grow throughout the book. 
I was sad with the way it ended, but I knew from the beginning that he wasn't going to be convinced into changing his mind. So I was sort of prepared for all of that. Didn't mean it didn't make me cry. Will I read it again? Well, more than likely at some point, though it's not one of the books on my regular reread list. I enjoyed it, as I have said above, but I have to admit that the introduction of two sequels did diminish my enthusiasm for it somewhat, which is sad. I love sequels, and quite often I will sit and read a book and then ask myself, was that it? Quickly followed with, I need more, what happens next? But with this book, I honestly felt like we'd been given the ending that the whole story had been working towards. I felt like the epilogue gave us what we needed as readers, and I didn't need to find out what happened next. The sequels actually ruined some of my warm glow. Would I recommend it to other readers? If you haven't read it already and you like a book that gives you that choked up feeling, then Me Before You is one of the originals. Don't expect a happily ever after, don't expect a perfect love story, but do expect to encounter interesting characters, acerbic wit, and a couple of people you really want to punch in the throat. It was the book to read in 2012 and the love story to watch in 2016, though I will still debate avidly and very passionately that it is not a love story. If you haven't already read it, it's available from your library, on the Kindle, your local bookshop and probably quite a few charity shops. Give me before you a try. Honestly, you won't regret it if you like a good cry. The last cup has gone in the dishwasher. The closed sign has been turned around. So it's time to end this, another episode of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or give me a star rating over on Podchaser. I really love to read what you have to say. Constructive criticism is always helpful. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at not before coffee podcast. I have to go and pick up another book from the shelf, though I still have this week's to finish. And I'm going to settle down with another cup of coffee. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.